Our text, our lesson today is emotional exclusivity is a sign of love. And again, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, my wife asked me this morning if I was teaching the same lesson that I taught last week. I told her, as I'm telling you, that I'm using the same subject and trying to make the same point, but using a different argument. And I pray that when we complete this lesson that you will agree that I have given you a different way to think about the point of the lesson that I gave last week. In our last le lesson, I endeavored to make the point that the basis of marriage is exclusivity both in meeting our spouse's emotional needs and getting our own emotional needs met. But with the large number of people with whom we come into contact and the many interrelated activities that we perform with them, I realize that the concept of having just one person upon whom you can rely to meet your emotional needs is counterintuitive to most of us. But when I consider the oneness for which God calls in the creation of the man and the woman, I clearly see this concept in the scripture. Genesis 2, 21 through 24 records, and the Lord caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, God made woman from a part of a man's body, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and then God states that this man and woman will be the paradigm for all marriage, being joined, and to have a relationship oneness even to the exclusion of their parents. Now, understand the concept of oneness in a relationship. I am one with myself. Before I can communicate a thought to you, I must first know the thought myself. In order for my wife and I to be one, we must develop a relationship in which we communicate the totality of our thought processes to one another. If I hold something back, we are no longer one because I have some thoughts that she does not have. Thus, to become one, our goal should be to develop a relationship in which we actually completely communicate our thoughts to one another. 
then we will find ourselves not needing other emotional outlets for our thought processes because we have one another. Now, God maintained the concept of marital oneness when he decided that his creation was too corrupt to remain on the earth. God decided to start over with married couples. Genesis 6, 13, 18, and 19 records, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. There were no single individuals on the ark nor were there any polygamists. Every individual on the ark was paired with his or her spouse. Genesis 6:19 indicates that even the animals were paired. And Jesus reiterates the concept of permanent pairing and emotional exclusivity in his conversation prohibiting the disillusion of marriage. Mark chapter 10, verse 2 through 9 records, The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? testing him. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permit a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, interestingly, Jesus attributed the biblical regulation concerning divorce to the hardness of the heart of man rather than to the will of God, and refers the Pharisees back to the original intention of God from Genesis chapter 2, that being that a husband and a wife are no longer two separate individuals, but are joined, by, joined into being one by the creative action of God. Now let us look at a biblical episode that may explain why oneness and exclusive union is so difficult for most people to achieve. Genesis 4 chapter 1 through 5 says, now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Cain and Abel are siblings. They are brothers. They are both children of the same parents. They both offered sacrifices with the intention of pleasing God. Abel's sacrifice met God's approval, but his brother Cain's sacrifice did not. God told Cain that his offering was not accepted because something about his sacrifice was not done well. 
Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God gave Cain a warning that probably did not soothe his injured feelings. And so Cain went to discuss the situation with Abel. The information that they shared with one another is not detailed in the scripture, but the outcome of their discussion was negative. Genesis 4.8 records, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now this passage of scripture records the first murder in the Bible, and the first case of those who are far smarter than I have termed as sibling rivalry. Rather than amending his own sacrifice to receive God's approval, Cain chose to lash out at Abel, his brother, whose sacrifice was approved. Now, almost all people, with the possible exception of psychopaths, consider the approval of the significant individuals in their lives, including God, parents, and spouses, as something extremely important to receive. And when we are faced with disapproval from a significant individual, we often we try to justify our position in order to change their minds and receive their approval. This conversation generally takes place in the form of an argument. And if our argument is unsuccessful, we can either amend our behavior to fit the recommendation of the significant person or we can use argument to shift the blame to some other circumstance, or we can use argument to shift the blame for our lack of approval to some other person. Shifting the blame to someone else is the basis of sibling rivalry. Now, why should Abel's sacrifice be accepted, said Cain to himself? His sacrifice was no better than mine. I don't know why God likes him better than me. What did I ever do to deserve disapproval? Cain must be in cahoots with God in some way, and they have cut me out of the picture. Well, there's nothing I can do about God, but there is sure something that I can do about that Cain that stole God's approval from me. And often, rather than recognize our own shortcoming, we use argument to convince ourselves that our problem is not because of our shortcoming, but because of the fault of our sibling. I'm reminded of the story of the man whose car became difficult to control while driving on a back road. He stopped, got out of his car, and saw that his left rear tire was flat. He found the spare tire in his truck, but he also found that he didn't have a jack. He saw a farmhouse about half a mile up the road. Maybe, he said to himself, the farmer has a jack that I can use. I'll just go borrow it. So the man began to walk to the farmhouse. Suppose the farmer doesn't have a jack, he thought to himself. Then what am I going to do? The man continued to walk. Well, he probably has a jack. It's a farm, and I'm sure he has trucks and tractors. I'm sure he'll let me use a jack. The man continued to walk. But suppose he's stingy and won't loan me his jack. I guess I'll have to offer to pay for it. I'll, I guess I'll have to offer him a dollar to borrow his jack. The man continued to walk. Suppose the farmer's unreasonable, and he says he wants $10 for the jack. $10 just to use a jack? 
That's outrageous. The man should be able to help a traveler without trying to soak him for every dime he's got. And by this time, the man had talked himself into being angry. He finally reached the house and knocked on the door. The farmer came to the door. Hello, he said. Can I help you? I'm not paying any $10 for a jack, hollered the man. You can keep your jack and you know what you can do with it. Now, in the case of Cain and Abel, the Bible does not record any altercation between Cain and Abel that would have precipitated such a drastic response as murder. Perhaps there wasn't one. Perhaps when Abel received the approval that Cain wanted, Cain talked himself into being angry at Abel for being rejected, blaming Abel for his own failure to please God. We should be careful about our thoughts because they can become self-fulfilling prophecies just as they did with the man and the jack. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 to 8 tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The fact of the matter is that following this commandment requires a certain level of maturity. It takes maturity to deal with disappointment, to look at our own shortcomings and to not blame either circumstances or other people for our failures. Immature people usually find someone else to blame for whatever happens to them. Taking responsibility for failure is not generally an attribute of immature people. Sibling rivalry is so named because it is common among immature children vying for the attention and approval of parents in, in most homes in which there is more than one child. A counselor had a client that was having a problem in his marriage. The client said, I need help with my marriage because my wife and I argue almost about almost everything. Why do you argue? Asked the counselor. Well, said the client, my wife is just so irritating, but the counselor cut him off. Listen to my question. I'm asking why you argue. Well, said the client, she, the counselor cut him off again. You're not listening to my question. I'm asking why you argue. You have full control over your actions. Regardless of whether or not she argues, you have free will, and you don't have to respond to her provocation with an argument. There are many things you can do to avoid arguing with your wife. So my question is, why do you argue? To answer this question, you have to say, the reason that I argue with my wife is that I, and finish the sentence, don't mention her because she doesn't make you argue. You argue because you choose to. So why do you argue? The client thought. Finally, he said, I argue because I want to get my way. So the counselor responded, that's the classic definition of sibling rivalry. 
It may be that you're treating your wife more like a sister than a wife. Let me ask you, when you argue, are you sure that your way is the only correct way? Will her way of doing things ever work? Well, said the client, I guess I'm used to doing things my way. Which is not the question, said the counselor. Did you hear my question? When you argue, are you sure that your way is the only correct way? Will her way of doing things ever work, or is she always wrong? Well, said the client, I guess she can't always be wrong. Well, how successful are you in arguing her out of her position, asked the counselor. Well, usually not very, said the man. I guess that's why we have so many arguments. Well, now, does arguing make your relationship with your wife better or worse, asked the counselor. Do you usually have sex after an argument? No, not usually, said the man. We usually go to bed angry with one another. Okay, said the counselor. Let's see what we have learned. You argue to get your way, but you're not sure that your way is always right. You're not always successful in changing your wife's position, and arguing doesn't make your relationship with your wife better. Knowing these things, is it intelligent to argue with your wife? I see your point, said the man. I guess not. Let your wife do things her way, said the counselor. If her idea is a good one, you'll be glad that you supported her and went with a winner. If her idea is a bad one, it will soon be obvious, and it won't need your help to kill it. If you chose an intelligent woman to marry, she's probably more apt to agree with you if you don't argue with her, but let her work it out in her own head. Treat her like she's your wife, not your little sister. Proverbs 15 and 1 tells us, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And if you married your spouse with the intention of staying married with him or her until death do you part, you have a long time to convince them of the correction of your correctness of your position. You don't have to use argument to try to do it quickly because it probably won't work. Proverbs 25 and 15 tells us, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. James tells us in James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom, wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So a good first step in transforming a marital relationship to that of sibling rivalry to that of a soulmate is to understand this concept. Make a re resolution to excel in being the peacemaker in your home. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
your regard for one another and your ability to share your emotional lives with one another will grow as you grow together in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, there I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I have learned that the most important human relationship that we can have in this life is the relationship that we have with our spouses. We have previously read in both Genesis and Matthew that we are specifically called to become one with one another, bonded together by God, and that we are to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And if there is any relationship in life in which we should practice Christian principles and bring our best selves, it is our marital relationship. We even need to first be good spouses in order to lead in the church. 1 Timothy 3 tells us this. It is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for mother, for money. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. So to hold either of the scriptural officers in the church, the Bible requires that you be a man that has kept your marriage vow to be married to your wife until death do you part. The literal Greek being ase guine ener, meaning a one woman man. The biblical prerequisite for church leadership is the ability to develop and maintain a marital relationship. We can understand why this is true as we recognize that the function of the church is to inspire people to develop the unity of the faith of Christ, oneness with him and with one another. And as 1 Timothy 3, chapter five, chapter 3, verse 5 tells us, if we fail in the task of leading an organization the size of a family, we have no chance to successfully lead an organization the size of a church. So the marital relationship is our primary biblical relationship and it is an emulation of the relationship between Christ and the church. Revelation 19.6-9 records, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, has come, and his wife, the church, has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those 
who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So I'd like for you to consider the real purpose of our marital relationships. Our marriages and our families are the laboratories in which we do the work of experimentation with Christian principles as we endeavor to keep the commandment to become one with our spouse. There's no relationship that we can substitute for marriage that will allow us to experience the growth required to truly understand that which God is doing in our lives as he endeavors to turn us into members of his bride, the church. So marriage is a laboratory, and we should be doing the experiments that God is giving us to do. Some of the experiments are difficult to do. I doubt that the man who has to figure out how to live with his wife without arguing with her will disagree with me. Some of the arguments are uncomfortable to do, and some of the arguments, some of the experiments are painful to do. I know of a man who wanted a child, but his wife could not get pregnant. After medical intervention, she was able to conceive, and he and his wife had the opportunity to see the sonogram of their child in the womb and to count the ten little fingers and the ten little toes. Then one day, their child's heart stopped beating in the womb. There was nothing that they did, and there was nothing that they could do. After the expense and discomfort of fertility treatments, after going through all the physical adjustments of early pregnancy, after all the planning for the future of the child, the child's heart just stopped. The doctors don't know why. I don't know why because the Bible doesn't say, and as far as I know, no one on earth knows why. What should be the response of the man to this problem? He has a challenge from God, and it looks as though he is not going to get the child that he desires. If he finds out that his wife actually cannot conceive seed and successfully carry a child to term, he could choose to produce the child that he wants outside of his marriage since the fertility issue is not his. He could also choose to divorce his wife and marry someone without a fertility issue. That would be the type of solution that Cain would develop, but not one that would honor God. There are many children in the country that need adoption, and that would be something that he could do that would benefit not just himself and his wife, but also give an innocent child an opportunity that he or she otherwise would not have. But the true lesson that we are learning in the laboratory of marriage is that we are committing ourselves to Christ-likeness. We are devoting ourselves to the benefit of someone else, and we are making that person one with ourselves, not just by getting, but also by giving. In our marriage, we are choosing to sacrifice ourselves for a flawed human being. We are choosing to become one with him or her, not only during the good times, but for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, which is the vow of emotional exclusivity, to love and to cherish until death do us part, even if we can't get our way right now. John 3.16 tells us, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Marriage is the laboratory in which we can do the experiment that Jesus describes in this text. You cannot give yourself for the world. You don't have the capacity to do so. Your life is not fit to give as a sacrifice for sin. But God wants you to participate in his program to be part of his son's bride at the wedding supper of the lamb recorded in the book of Revelation. So he gives us someone to be our closest companion, someone with whom we can share our life, someone for whom we can give ourselves, someone whose emotional needs we can meet, even as they meet our emotional needs, even as Jesus Christ met our need for salvation on the cross. If we choose to conform to God's plan, all of the problems of marriage can be solved by giving and by sacrifice. It may not be fun and it may not be easy, but it can be done if we resolve ourselves to do it. There may be shortcuts that we can take and we decide that taking on the total emotional responsibility for another person is just too hard to do, but it can be done and done successfully. The Lord admonishes us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 5 and 11 through 16. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wrangling of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom, we, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us this lesson, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to understand and then to execute uh, the plan that you have given us. Help us to look upon our relationships with one another as ways to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us to be giving, help us to be sacrificial with one another, even as you sacrificed your life on the cross of Calvary. 
giving your back to the smiters and your cheeks to those that plucked off the hair, not hiding your face from shame and spitting, but dying on the old rugged cross that we might have a right and a just right to the tree of life. Help us, Lord, that we might emulate your example in our homes as we go down from this place at this week. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. We ask that you give us traveling mercies as we come down from this place and bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for the lively discussion, for the, uh, for the informative and inspiring situation that we had here this morning. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would continue to bless us and that you would allow our relationships to do that which uh, you have planned for us. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we meet your requirements and that we are able to uh, to use our marriages to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the uh, participation of all, and we ask you, Lord, that you continue to go with us and stand by us. Lord, pray for Dr. Allen and his family. Continue to bless them. For Sister Allen, and we just ask you, Lord, that you uh, bless her situation uh, with her father, uh, that you would uh, allow his uh, allow them to be able to regulate his uh, sugar, uh, that you would touch his body and give him that which he requires that he might be able to come out of that hospital situation and return uh, to his domicile. We ask you that you bless both he and his wife. Just go with them and stand by them and bind them together with cords of love that cannot be broken. And we're continuing in prayer for Brother Willie Wilson that she's asked us to pray for, for Kevin Hardrick who's still in the hospital, for we're asking that Maury and Dwayne Curtis would come together as they are uh, contemplating a problem in their marriage, and we ask you, Lord, that you go with them as well. We're praying for Sheila Hersey and Anthony White that she's asked us to pray for by name, and also we're praying that the store will continue to meet the need on that corner. Uh, send them customers and give them uh, that which they require in their marketing plan that they might continue to meet uh, the expectations that they have. Now I'm praying for my wife as well. I'm asking you that you would continue to bless her and that you, uh, we thank you that Mother Z is doing uh, much better. We just ask you, Lord, that you would continue to go with her and strengthen her and allow her to have more and more mobility as she recovers from uh, that stroke. Thanking you, Lord, for the praise report about Brother Daniels, and we're asking you that you continue uh, to uplift him, he and his family, uh, as uh, he is doing well and as he has affiliated himself with your organization. We just ask you, Lord, that you'd uh, keep him on the straight and narrow. He and his family, just bless them, uh, guide them in the way that they should go. Thank you for it. Of course, we pray for Paul, and we ask you that you give him traveling mercies as he goes up and down the dangerous highway. Give him uh, the intelligence that he needs to continue to maintain uh, that situation there. Uh, just just uh, give him technical skill. Give him communication skill and skill with his co-workers that he might be able to uh, continue to lead in his leadership capacity. Praying for Rick, back out, back out on the battlefield, and we ask the Lord that you go with him as 
he's overseas once again and that you uh, just keep him safe. Put your hedge of protection around him, bring him back uh, at the appointed time when he completes his tour of duty. Just We just ask you, Lord, that you bless him and his young wife, uh, that you would continue to keep her uh, in your keeping power as he's away and they are apart. We just ask, Lord, that you give her comfort here, that she might be a good support system for him. We pray, Brother Edwards, and his family, asking that you bless the boys and give them traveling mercies as they're up in Detroit today. Bring them back home safely, and we're continuing in prayer for his grandmother as well. And continue to bless he and his wife also. And we're praying for Brother Lee and Sister Lee and for Cedric, Lord. We ask you that you would give him skill this evening as uh, he is uh, playing... Uh, for the uh, for for the award dinner or for the dinner for the uh, uh, fellow at the Martin Luther King Scholar uh, uh, dinner uh, luncheon tomorrow, and we just ask you, Lord, that uh, you would allow his uh, rendition at that reception to be received well by all who hear it. We just ask you, Lord, that uh, you give him not only that ability in his uh, musical uh, in music, but that you'd also give him the academic ability that he might be able to. Uh, do well on this scholarship test. Just just uh, allow him to uh, remember all those things that he needs to know in order to uh, pass this test and not just pass it, but to excel in it, that he might be awarded the scholarship and be ready for his next uh, school year. We pray for his brother as well, who's uh, out in Pennsylvania uh, uh, in college. And we ask you, Lord, that as he is in his last, uh, last go-round up there at the university, uh, that you would allow him to close out on a high note and just give him that which he requires uh, to do well in class. We just thank you for it, Lord. And we're continuing in prayer for Samuel Lani. We're thanking you that uh, Peyton Cole is doing much better as off the antibiotics, and we ask that you continue to allow her recovery to complete. And we just thank you for it, Lord. We're praying for uh, the Grumalot family whose mother is over in Iraq. And we're asking, Lord, that even as you do with Rick, that you keep her safe from all hurt, harm, and danger. Uh, just allow her to perform her duties and then make it back uh, when her tour of duty is over uh, in, uh, in good shape. And we're praying for all the rest of the ones that uh, Brother Lee has asked us to pray for. Thanking you for Brother and Sister McClure, praying for J.J. and Janelle. And we're asking, Lord, that you give them a good college experience this term, allow everything to go well for them. And, uh, just give them diligence in their academic studies that they might be able to uh, come home with a pleasant report for their parents. Bless Janelle as she is uh, considering what she's going to do next. And we ask you, Lord, that you would be in that decision that she might be able to do that, uh, which is uh, in her own best interest and would help her the most. And we're just thanking you for it. Uh, thanking you that the McClure's are here today and we thank you for it. Continuing in prayer, uh, praying for Brother Winston, who's going in the hospital tomorrow. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would uh, uh, be with the doctors and let them have just a regular, just a uh, ordinary day. Let nothing untoward happen. Just let it be the procedure that they planned and let them get all of the loose cartilage and all of the uh, things in his knee that they are going in to get and allow him to recover well from that. We just thank you, Lord, and we ask you that you keep him safe on the trip there and safe on the trip back. Allow him to have a short recuperation period and get back to full strength. Now, Lord, I'm praying for my trip to Chicago. I'm asking that you keep me safe on the road and uh, that you'd be able to bring me back at the appointed time. We're praying for Dad, and we're asking you, Lord, that you'd allow his doctor that's going to operate on his eye to have a, to have a common day as well. 
Let there be nothing untoward, nothing unforeseen. Give them the skill that they need to complete the operation successful, successfully. Uh, give him the healing that he might be able to uh, be restored to his full vision after uh, removing that cataract. Uh, we're praying for Uncle James and Aunt Barbara. We're asking you that you bless them as uh, she is suffering from the early stages of Alzheimer's disease. And we're asking you, Lord, that uh, that you'd make ways and means for her mind to not uh, not to go out like that. We just ask you, Lord, that you get in those brain cells that appear to be deteriorating and firm them back up, that she might be able to keep her faculties and be uh, lucid and clear uh, as she goes through her senior year. And we're praying for the Northerns down in Louisiana. We're praying for Brother Perkins down in, Te uh, uh, rather Northerns in Texas and the Perkins in Louisiana. And we're asking that you bless them, Lord, those young men that are raising those children, help them to raise them in the way that they should go so that when they get older, they'll not depart from it. And we're also praying for all whose names we have not mentioned on the list. We're asking you, Lord, that you go with us and stand by us and stand by them in all that they do. Pray for the television station for the Forgotten Man Ministry. We're thanking you, Lord, for those who are here and abroad in the armed forces. And we're asking you, Lord, that uh, you would go with those young men who are volunteering to give their, to put themselves in harm's way in the defense of our country. We ask, Lord, that you uh, just be a hedge of protection around them be with their families and give them comfort as well and then bring them back at the end of their tour. And we also pray for those who are in charge of this situation that they are able to bring it to a swift conclusion and bring all the boys back home. Well now Lord we thank you for the place that you've given us here for uh, these words of wisdom and for all that is going on with us. Help us Lord to uh, grow in grace and then bring us back at the appointed time once again. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. And I pray for my wife, who's the love of my life. I ask you to continue to bless us as we grow together and as we learn more about how we are treat one another within the confines of your word. Now, we thank you, Lord, for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. As Jesus sat with those men that were going to make up the leadership of his church and ate this last supper, he said to them, love one another as I have loved you, so let you love one another. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus Christ preached love and then he went to the old rugged cross. He loved us so much that he gave his life that we might have a right and a just right to the tree of life. And as he has told us, if he gave his life for us, so we ought to love one another. So as we, go, as we get ready to take this communion this afternoon, let us remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. Now may the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest within the Bible with us now, henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.